millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. end up in a YouTube spiral. I mean, it's 2am and I'm watching someone break down a bluefin tuna. But one morning I had a video pop up and I'd never seen the channel before. And now it's uncommon because again, I'm up till 2am watching bluefin tuna videos. I've seen everything. So I watched that video that popped up and then another and then another classic YouTube spiral. I mean, I was seeing all of these videos, but they were all talking about the exact same thing, being autistic. Now, one channel stood out, Adulting Autistic, run by Tyler Grant here in the UK, up in Manchester. I mean, after watching her videos, I knew I had to chat to her. This kid really does look like a serial killer. Obviously not saying autistic people are serial killers. Like, I'm autistic. I am not a serial killer. Yeah. Every guy I've told ghosts around the time I tell them. Not, not, not saying that's oh, why. I'm really sensitive to sound, which is quite laughable because I love techno nights, which are usually quite. Loud. And the fact that there's a lot of variables, and it's like what goes in, what wash, and like what's the right answer. Bridge, like I can hear it. Maybe if I put you really close, you'll hear it too. I'm Tyler. I'm 22, and I guess I'd call myself an autism activist. That's the most fitting word, yeah. You have lots of different phrases like autistic, with autism. Um, like, how do you sort of work it out? Are there any differences? What to use? Yeah, like what, what Depend, sort of phrasing to depends use? Depends on the contact, context. If you're talking about a person, um, it's an autistic person. That's the preference on, like that's the most dominant preference in the community. But some people do like to be called uh, some, someone with autism. Um, to me personally, I'm not really bothered because I'd rather us be talking about it and then I can fix what would appear to you as semantics later. But there is a lot of weight behind that. So if you're saying with autism, you're assuming that autism is a bad thing, more than likely. Um, and then if you're saying autistic person, then your perception is that I view autism as something that defines me. And yes, it does define me. It's my brain. Like I've grown up. I have this like it's in me I can't I can't dissociate from it you can't cure it so <laughs> wait it is an identity like it's like I'm black I'm a woman like these are parts things parts of me that I don't wish to change and I'm not going to change and to some extent I can't change what 
would you say autism is? I would say it's an umbrella term for an... It's an umbrella term for someone impacted by a number of traits is how I define it. But um, generally it's like, what do they say it is? A developmental delay or something like that. But I don't agree with that. The science may say that, but it doesn't feel like that. What does it feel like for you? It generally just feels like day to day, um, I feel like my personal ability and on paper is completely different to how I actually would be in a situation because when you're in a situation you've got the environment to factor in you've got the social things to factor in and then you've got just the general condition of like your state and your body and stuff hi i'm mary Ajapong. i'm a researcher in neurodevelopmental psychology at King's College London. I'm working on looking for early signs and symptoms of autism and ADHD in infant siblings who have an autistic brother or sister. So I guess from sort of the research perspective, um, autism would be defined as a neurodevelopmental disorder um, and it's sort of characterised by um, difficulties with social communication as well as difficulties with um, repetitive and restricted behaviours um, and interests and also um, sensory uh, interests and so it's quite a broad sort of definition it's also important to remember that all of like it's essentially diagnosed behaviourally and so these like it, it's autism's a contract in a sense what do you mean like construct um, in that it's like you have these various factors um like i just mentioned so the social communication and the um repetitive and restrictive behaviors and the sensory things but no two autistic people will have exactly the same sort of um presentations or difficulties or strengths um so autism is very heterogeneous in that it presents very differently um in each autistic person so um the project that i'm working on um is mainly looking at um early signs and symptoms of autism and ADHD. Um, so the study's called Basis Stars. So everyone in academia loves the acronym. So it's um, British Autism Study of Infant Siblings, um, studying autism and ADHD. How do you diagnose autism? Cool. So um, it really depends um, on sort of when and where it's diagnosed, I guess. So um, at the moment, I think the average age of diagnosis is like four or five years old. Um, and so the way in which it's um, diagnosed would be sort of like a combination of looking at um, developmental history. So um, a diagnostic sort of tool um, used is called the ADIR, which is like Autism Diagnostic Interview Revised. <laughs> um, and so that's uh, very much sort of like a semi-structured, um, I'd call it like a, almost like having a conversation with um, a parent about their um, child who they may think has autism um, and it's just sort of discovering um, what their first concerns were um, and sort of what thing, me, things that they may have noticed from um, essentially going back all the way from birth. Okay okay so how does it work like so you, you is it like you sit in a room uh, with just the parent or? Um, so yeah you can do you can um, yeah you, you'd sit with the parent typically I mean it can be done over the phone but I think that's um, sometimes less personable. I think okay. it's definitely um, that sort of sit 
with the parent and you would essentially you have like a booklet full of questions um but essentially you're going through those questions trying to explore and understand what um like what the parent has noticed from sort of very early on if anything and obviously not or I say obviously sorry (laughs) not all of the questions may be relevant um considering what I've said about how different autism um can present in different individuals um but that's something that you go through and then um another aspect of diagnosing autism is um looking at it behaviorally so there's um sort of a very common um commonly used diagnostic um tool which is called the autism diagnostic observation schedule um number two <laughs> autism diagnostic observation schedule there we go which is a- ados yes great <laughs> so everyone loves an acronym like i said um and so that's a uh semi-structured sort of um behavioral assessment that a uh, um trained researcher or a clinician would do with um depend will do with the um person who is suspected to be autistic or um and so that comprises of sort of a, di- a number of different tasks and um, you're looking out for um, behaviours that um, would typically sort of be um, or considered autistic. Like m- markers or something? or um, Some, yeah, I guess you could call them behavioural markers. You're looking, yeah, because it is essentially diagnosed from, at, well, as we speak right now, it's diagnosed behaviourally. So you're looking out for these behavioural things um and combining that with parental sort of informant if that's um available, available. Yeah. exactly but i guess that also depends on when um you're diagnosed because yeah for an adult slightly different autism is a lot more common than most people realize there are around 700,000 people on the autism spectrum here in the uk according to data from the national autistic society so that's more than one in 100 now if you include their families in that Autism is part of daily life for just around 3 million people. Data from the NHS shows that between January and October 2018, there are around 18,000 new referrals for patients with suspected autism. But stepping away from the numbers, what does it mean to be diagnosed? When I was 17, um, halfway through college, basically, I had been... not. I wasn't a bad kid. (laughs) Just my grades had just started to do a mad one and they were like what is happening um so i i had one economics teacher that tested us every week like it wasn't just a oh here's a practice question it was a full-on test um and i'd smash one week and do bad the next but if you'd look at the questions i was doing bad on like there wasn't a pattern it wasn't as if it was one specific topic i didn't know it was just generally whatever was going on in my life that week was having a massive impact like i was always late i was sleeping in lessons like and they were like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, well, if I knew, it wouldn't be wrong. Um, so my form tutor was the head of the special educational needs. Um, I don't know if they call it a unit at the college. And she was like, yeah, I think there's, there's something a bit up with you. Can you go? Well, not can you go. You're going to have to go to um, CAMS, uh, child, adult mental, child Adolescent Mental Health Service. Otherwise, like, you, you're getting kicked out of college because like, you, you're not doing what you need to do to be here. Uh, so obviously I went because I wanted to go to uni at that point. And they did an assessment and immediately like noticed I was depressed and had anxiety. Um, they couldn't quite work out if it was anxiety or social anxiety because I did cadets at the time, which is a really social thing to do. 
um, then the assessor picked up things about my past and how I was now that were just like triggered her to do a autism assessment and that's how I found out I was autistic. Wow and wow and so like what was it like finding out that you're autistic yeah what was it like? It didn't mean anything to me because I didn't know what it was at the time. Yeah I mean it, it, I mean it, in this in there was a bit of a relief in the fact that oh okay there's something I can say as to why I'm like when I, I obviously every teen naps but I would sleep <laughs> like it wasn't <laughs> I would lose a whole day like I'd go to you know sometimes you haven't like, oh I'll just put my head down for five minutes turns out it's a couple of hours later it's a day later and I've usually missed half the next day as well like it would be because I'd push myself thinking I was able to do things that everyone else could do which now I know like you have your limits respect them because it'll have a knock-on effect and make the week even worse but um yeah so now it was just a case of I had a word. I didn't really get receive any help as to how to come up with strategies to address it. I didn't really, it didn't, I didn't even get my paperwork through because I stopped going to the CBT for the depression that I had at the time. So they just stopped with everything they had in relation to me. So you were diagnosed at 17. I mean, did you have any inkling before that, that something was up? So when I was around, um, I'd say seven, seven or eight, um, I, was always getting in trouble and then as a result of that so I was always sat down with teachers a lot and they'd be like oh who are your friends I'm like well I don't have friends I'm like well you play with so and so I was like yeah but they're all friends and I'm not friends with them they're not friends with me um and looking back now could I have been any more autistic like what did you what if that doesn't scream there's something like different about this child then what would have um I used to spend my lunch times again in primary school. We had a choir, and we had uh, back in the day, so everything was digital um, on paper. We have the choir folders. I would optionally, in the height of summer. I mean, I had hay fever, but even in winter, like just any time of year, I would go and organize about seventy choir folders, putting in all the hymn hymn sheets and songs for. Um, the whole choir and I'd smash it, I'd do it so quick. And then whenever I was excluded, the, I think she was the deputy head was also in charge of the choir. So if she had choir things to do, she'd be really annoyed that I was excluded that week. Like you could tell and I'd come back and like, she'd have got someone else to do it and it would be a mess. And she'd be like, right, Tyler, do you want to do the choir? I was like, yeah, I'll come in and I'll sort it out. Don't worry. So I'd go sit in her office. So looking back to then, you've got a kid who likes organizing things and who has no friends? And I mean, I know these are stereotypes, but if that's all we've got as key indicators as to whether you should assess a child or not, when I'm in trouble and hiding under tables and in cupboards and you can't find me and I'm escaping school three times, what did you think? Why did you think I was doing that? Um, and then in high school, the way I do my work, um, I did textiles, which is uh project is it project based mm, I guess you'd, yeah it's coursework so you end up doing a portfolio and then you'd make a couple of things and write about them and deadline was approaching because obviously it's GCSE so you're going off the national deadlines and stuff and my teacher was like you've not done your work yet I'm like yeah oh, don't worry I'm ready she's like what do you mean you're ready just do the work I was like yeah but it's not it's not due yet like, yeah but I need to mark it on this date you'll have it by that date don't worry she's like right I'm gonna have to put you on detention because I don't have any of your work and I don't like she knew I was capable she didn't have a worry, but she needed to see something just to like make sure I was in line with the rest of the class or whatever. I was like, right, but 
you're not marking it yet, so why am I making it? I'm like, right, well, you're on detention. So I spent about six weeks on detention. She still got no work out of it, so I don't know why she bothered to do it because it just wasted her lunch times as well. But um, when it came to the day, I think I did my whole portfolio, um, written portfolio in about a week, maybe, maybe less than that. And it was supposed to have taken about two terms. And then in terms of the practical stuff, I would just knock out designs and like finish products within two or three days or two or three classes. And again, it was meant to take longer than that. And I know like people naturally have skills towards some things, but it was a case of, I work better under pressure and like not even pressure, but just give me a block of time to just get it done, leave me alone rather than doing bits and bits as time goes on, which is how they wanted me to work. And then again, while I was in school as well, um, I just didn't like at this. I think it was worse in primary school, but I didn't like the start of a new school year. Like every time I would, even if I liked the teacher, I didn't want to go into their class. I remember year two to three was the worst because naturally, like I've got a new playground, got a new teacher. You go from juniors to what was it? Was it seniors? It wasn't seniors. Yeah, it was juniors to seniors. I think. I think was it? Yeah. So. Um, Every, everything about that I hated. I also actually did not like that teacher, which made it even worse. So I'd constantly just like get up and walk out of a class, go to the toilet and then not come back. And I get that, that on like, it's just a disruptive child. But then when you put everything together, there's there's something more there deep down. They just thought I had behavioral problems. So primary school, I was sent to a behavioral therapist, but they didn't pick up on my autistic traits. They just thought I was another naughty kid. I mean, why do you think that is? I mean, why do you think they thought you were just another naughty kid? Um, I was a black kid in a predominantly white school. I think there was three, three black kids in my class and probably 10 in a school of 100, 500, sorry. Um, was it a thousand? It was a big primary school, I know that much. And, and, the, and then like, again, single parent household and like all these other little things, which to them it's probably like oh she's not been raised right or something like that and it's just like when you've got a child who gets 10 out of 10 on a spell on a, on a what would the spelling test but tells you they got seven why would they like why would they do that and I, I still do the same now like if anyone puts me up for awards and stuff I don't like getting them I don't like doing it like I just I think at that point in primary school, if you started getting like tens and stuff, you were getting awards and prizes and stuff like that. But then that would bring attention to you. And I hated attention on me. Like I don't mind doing well and give me an odd little, oh, well done, but that needs to be the line. If I start getting like record, like golden jumper, I hated getting that. Like I hated- Sorry, what, a golden jumper? Get, yeah, but like the best behaved or like if you did something outstanding or if you were really nice to a friend or something, you'd get the golden jumper because our school jumpers were blue. So you'd get a yellow one and not only had that jumper been worn by every other child in the class, which is disgusting, um, they then, um, yeah, you, you got to stand up in assembly, go up and get the jumper, and I hated doing it. I didn't like it. I mean, did it happen often? Well, it happened at least once a year because oh. everyone in the class ended up getting the golden jumper. But then the weekly thing was the spelling tests, and I, I genuinely got into arguments with teachers because they'd have to mark down your score. Someone else would have marked your test. I'd say I got a seven. Who marked it would shout out, oh no, she got a 10. I'm taking less. What's the problem? Like, what is your issue? Leave me to, I want a seven. I've got the right to take a 10, but I want a seven. So 
<laughs> would it, yeah, it would have been about nine at the time, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, damn. So this kid would, would say to you, like, oh, like, shout out that you've got a higher mark than you. Than the one I wanted. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, is that something you find yourself doing even now, like downplaying things? A lot, yeah. So I struggle in, like, interviews and my CV doesn't really reflect what I am and all this stuff. Like, I'm just a very, even with this whole being present online thing, um, it's not about me. It's not under my name. Um it really easily could have been and it probably would have been easier if, if it was but I don't like it's not about me the end goal is to help other autistic people and if I'm the one then doing it that's doing it then cool but if someone comes along in two weeks and does exactly what I'm thinking of doing in the way that I'd have done it then I'll back off I don't care it's done yeah yeah no, that's sort of a really interesting mindset there um I think it's something that you don't see often with people now they're like I want to be I want to be the top. I want to be the front. Oh, can I can be, be bothered. Has effort. Like, if I've got to do it, then I'll do it. And at the minute, I do have to do it, so I am doing it. But no. I mean, why do you feel like you have to do it? And when you're talking about it, or what do you mean? Um, it in terms of filling the gap between filling the like filling the space that there is because of the lack of social services for. Um, what would you call it? Just for young adult autistic people, and then ones who are have lower support needs also find that there's like then nothing, not even there's just nothing, nothing at all, not catered for them. As with many conditions, hidden ones especially, there's a fear that people can end up falling through the cracks. Now, 17% of autistic children have been suspended from school with almost 50% of these having been suspended three times or more. And when it comes to adults, at least one in three autistic adults are experiencing severe mental health difficulties due to a lack of support. And considering that autism is a hidden condition, is there something that researchers can do to make tests more accurate? You've talked about behavioral markers. You know, we yeah. look at behavioral markers developmentally you know, as a child, but then they also look at it in adults. And adults, they can look at a lot of the same behaviors yeah. but we think that there is some evidence that those behaviors might be skewed towards testing for boys rather for, you know, for boys rather than girls testing uh, men rather than women um, but how are we like moving forward I mean because I know there's some people looking at genetics of it there's definitely sort of a broader push towards like finding in air quotes, biomarkers, so like biological markers, um, whether that's looking for behaviour um, or sort of um, particular, um, like I'd say like EEG or like... What's EEG? So, like brain scan? Uh, so EEG is electroencephalogram. Um, and so that is where you essentially would use like a cap or a net which has sensors on it. And you're measuring um, sort of electrical activity at the scalp. And so it's non-invasive, it's not dangerous. Um, and essentially it's quite a real, like it, it's a good tool for using um, with people of different ages. So we do EEG with babies as young as five months. Um, and essentially you can look at um, the uh, electrical signals um, measured um, at the scalp. And so, I mean, how does that work in terms of testing or diagnosis? So at the moment, it's sort of, it's still definitely in development in that sort of, um, in that sort of field, I'd say. So 
With EEG, is there the issue that when you're looking at brain signals, just like you can't broadly say that these are autistic behaviors, wouldn't there be an issue that you couldn't say, oh, these are autistic brain patterns, if that makes sense? Like we say, like with behaviors, so there's the behaviors that you'd say are more likely that you that you'd more likely see in an autistic person, right? Um, whereas with um EEG, it's very much sort of um I'd say in its development for um like you you I don't think you'd be able to confidently use EEG at the moment to sort of diagnose um autism, especially because a lot of it is based on like group differences. So if you're looking at like averaging um data from autistic people and then averaging data from um non-autistic people a lot of sort of the variance within those groups will sort of be averaged out. And so bear in mind that we've already sort of touched on the fact that autism is very heterogeneous. So there's a lot of differences within that autistic group. And so by averaging, you're kind of sort of treating that group as one. So to understand it, you know, there's such a wide variety in how autism presents. Yeah. So trying to pick behaviours, you know, actual physical behaviours, it can be difficult. So even trying to pick like brain signals because of how, you know, how varied our brains are, you know, how varied every human being's brain is. Yeah. If you're focusing on people who we think are, you know, autistic, looking at their brain signals, it might be very difficult to pick one thing out. Yeah. Especially if you're looking at them as a a group of people because it just gets fuzzy. It's just quite difficult to look at. Well, exactly. And I think um, when looking at a lot of the research, it's important to remember that, like, that a lot of the data has sort of just been sort of put together and although we might see um and we do see some differences um in um children who um go on to have um autism and when you're comparing them to children who don't um you'll see some differences perhaps in the lab and around you know specific um experiments and um specific like components within EEG I'd say at the moment we can't um reliably say that we have sort of a um a biomarker tool that is a hundred percent accurate every single time and I think it's important to remember that um and a lot more research is needed with different groups um cross-culturally different ethnicities (laughs) across the globe like a lot more research is needed um because even where you do sort of say, okay, fine, this might be evidence for a biomarker, that needs to be replicated and tested in different groups. There's um, some literature and research um, going on in various different groups, um, which suggests that it might be um, more difficult sometimes to diagnose autism in women than in men. Um, And that might be based around the sort of um, the ways in which autism is currently defined and the diagnostic tools um, that are used to um, diagnose autism and also I think I have to bear in mind that there may be sort of um, other maybe protective factors or um, but I think it's also important to look at why that might be but also what sort of impact it might have on women you're looking out for these symptoms specifically in boys and so they might not present in the same way in girls um, and considering sort of socially are you seeing differences um, with boys versus girls like it's I think it's an interesting um, an interesting area of research that isn't specifically my area but 
definitely there are differences um, that I think more research is needed to explore what autism looks like in different contexts. So chatting to Mary, I was getting more of an idea of just how much these diagnoses, they require watching for certain behaviours, both in the clinical setting with experts and at home with parents, caregivers, family. What if your culture at home isn't really what the test expects? Would how you look at autism be different if you were from Sri Lanka or the Philippines or Egypt or Ghana? Generally, places where white European isn't the norm. I mean, does it matter if the languages spoken there don't even have a word for autism? a really good question and like like you say like I, I wouldn't know for example the word for autism in tree like directly translating it and I think that's where we have to be mindful that like we are researching things within a certain context so I think it's um it's important that tools are developed to be used within the context that um the autistic child is in so um I know there's sort of some research doing um different uh looking at early intervention or early diagnosis in um different parts of africa so for example in ethiopia um and so on but i th- and i know that the current diagnostic tools that are used there are some translations available um but not of course not in all languages and so i think it's it's something that definitely needs more research to understand and to be able to contextualize what it means within a certain culture like what what autism is within the culture that you're, you're looking at yeah but that's the thing because for instance you know my parents are Ghanaian yeah as are mine okay good we're not, <laughs> we're not related just no no listening. no not yeah. all black people are related okay. just just for clarity um here in the uk so culturally at home where it's more Ghanaian definitely but out in the world it's more british yeah. if you're multicultural yeah you know the idea of autism what would, like autism would look so it would look so different yeah. and it would not have the frameworks currently to to sort of see that especially you know and this is for a lot of people of color and whatnot yeah and i think that is like that's true on so many different levels like even like i say me as a black female researcher like that in and of itself is an anomaly i go to conferences and i see no one that looks like me you're gathering and everyone's presenting their research and in the room i don't really see anyone that looks like me and then in the data that's been presented, I don't see anyone who's, well, not often, you don't see like black um, people adequately represented. So it's it's really difficult to navigate those spaces, I think, and to understand that there's so much, there's, there's so many differences going on there. Like, and I think right now a lot of things are being tackled sort of very separately. And that's where sort of coming together with like interdisciplinary approaches with research is helpful rather than everyone doing things in their own little pockets. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So, I mean, how, I mean, because you were diagnosed at 17, you're how old now? 22. So you you diagnosed at 17 and you're 22. And you mentioned that you went to uni? Yeah, yeah, I went to Lancaster. So what was your uni experience like? Your your face right now is, like, I've never seen someone roll their eyes into their mouth. Yeah. 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 This sums up. No, um... Uni, uni, in it. Like everyone lies. I don't know why. I was lied to. It was a scam. Like no one, no, no one can tell me that they fully enjoyed uni. And if you did, then well done for you. But that's a lie. Um, it was the the whole moving, moving out of home, living on your own. That was a breeze. Like I've been making toast since I was like three, so I could cook a dinner. Like that was all fine living with other people again wasn't too bad we had a cleaner so mess wasn't really an issue it was what didn't i like about you well what it was it was just a it was i wouldn't say it was a waste of time because you learn a lot about yourself and all that rubbish but you'd learn it all eventually in the real world anyway and it's just i wouldn't do it again I don't know what, what my major issue, what was my major issue with uni? You're just surrounded by people who think they know what they're on about. They don't know what they're on about. Even the lecturers only just about know what they're on about. If you ask them about something outside of their topic, they're struggling. And it's just really fake. Um, in terms of the day-to-day, I mean, Lancaster flooded the first year I was there. <laughs> like there's Manchester rain, yeah, but Lancaster, well done you smashed it on that rain front. Like it does not stop when it like, it's constantly drizzling. I think oh, it's just horrible. Um, You're really selling Lancaster to, because you know, we have an international audience and uh, all you're saying is essentially- that Don't go. Don't go? No. N- don't go to the north of England. Don't go to Lancaster. What are we saying here? Don't go Lancaster. Don't just- don't bother. It calls itself a town just because it's got a cathedral. I'm from a, like a bigger city, and my like my village is the size of that town. What? That's not a town. Um, it doesn't have an Andos. It's not a town. So, what I am looking at on my phone is just I'm, I'm going to mute the word Lancaster because I don't need okay. people in my mentions. Uh, so why do you bring Tyler on yeah Chan all this all this Lancaster hate who the fuck does she think she is yeah is it it, all right I'll give you some good things about it 
as a campus, it's really modern. There are a lot of support systems in place for non-autistic students and there is a service for autistic students, but like, obviously it's not going to fit everyone and it didn't really fit for me. I mean, what was, let's look at that. So being at uni, um, what was it like in terms of being autistic? Like from day one, did you feel like, cool, it's calm, I can do this? I mean, what was it like? I just spent my summer working in like the busiest student nightclub in Manchester. So I was used to staying up late, used to fast paced environments, used to being around students. Um, moving to Lancaster was a lot, it's a lot slower paced there. Um, got two clubs in the town in terms of socializing. Like I lived in a flat with 13 people, 12 other people, sorry. So that was helpful in terms of like making friends and stuff. I also got really involved in sport, but when I'd started uni, because it was a year after my diagnosis and I hadn't really done anything to do with being autistic, I hadn't really done any research, didn't really know what it meant. I kind of forgot I was autistic. So I was just getting on with life in terms of like doing what everyone else was doing. Um, obviously doing things that I liked as well. So I'd go to a couple of talks and stuff with my flatmates, but I was just living the stereotypical uni student life. And that's not the kind of student life I should have done because it laid like, yeah, everyone misses lectures here and there. But again, like with the whole sleep thing, I would miss whole days and just be out sleeping, but I wasn't tired. I was burnt out. Like there's a difference. Like, I could wake up and it would be beyond being in a mood. I think there was a time, I think it was actually freshers week. So it's the week before uni starts and you just get to know your way around campus. For us, we had introductory lectures and also um, went out a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a bit of drink. Well, there wasn't, it was Lancaster. There wasn't even that much drinking. Wow, again with the Lancaster hate. Yo. Oh, I'm not hating it. It's just a different way of life. I don't drink much but they didn't drink at all. No, my flat was a very social flat. We went out every night, but so I was in my room getting ready to go out and I got, there was this noise in the corridor and then there was this whole commotion. There was random people in the kitchen and then um, a light had broken. So the panels in the hallway are that like, like hospital ceiling type stuff where it's all the squares and it's like, poly I don't know if it's polystyrene, I don't know what it is, but it's like tiles that you can knock out and fix the light really easily. Um, and he'd done a backflip and knocked the light. Wait, wait, what, who'd, who'd done this backflip? At this point, I didn't know, but I just kicked off. I was like, everyone needs to get out. I was screaming that we live next to third years. So obviously third years think they know it all because they've been there the longest. They were our fresher reps. So they look after you during the week. And they were like, oh, um, calm down I was like don't tell me to calm down when you're in my flat and I used to do cadets and like lead remembrance Sunday parades so like I'm used to shouting in the street I brought it into the flat um and so all my flatmates were kind of shocked and then I was I just didn't care at that point because to looking back now at that time I was pretty burnt out and I just can't filter myself I I can't um, regulate like just my reactions or anything. What you get is what you get in and you've annoyed me. So this is 
what are you getting? I mean, it wasn't every night, but it was that night and it was just wasn't the one. Like there was just so many things going wrong. And at that point, I didn't know that it was my flatmate who'd done the backflip and he did not, once I once, once my mouth opened, there was no way he was telling me that night. I think two weeks later, when we were like, who, who actually broke the light? Like what happened? Everyone was like, because I didn't know, but everyone else knew and they were like, it was hate. I'm not going to say it. I can bleep it out. Yeah, I mean, I don't like him anyway, so it's fine. Um, (laughs) I ended up living with him again and we fell out again. Um, So yeah, it was him. And I was like, right then, cool. I mean, at least I didn't think we got charged for it in the end, but if we did, it would have been hefty. Since graduating from university, one of the most interesting things that Tyler's been up to is her work online, educating people about autism and what it's like being an autistic individual transitioning into adulthood. So I got in touch with you because you're black, you're autistic, you have a website, Adulting Autistic, um, an Instagram, also Adulting Autistic. Yeah. The brand is strong here. Very, very strong brand. Which <laughs> is also the same. Yeah, 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 I carried it all the way yeah. through. Yeah. How did that start, that, that wanting to um, show people what it's like being you? Because, well, there's, I think there was like two different reasons. One was like, there were all these vloggers and like even the like the air quotes authentic ones and their struggles are things that like i wish were my problems in the fact that if my only like if how do i word it falling out with friends kind of would be cool if i had friends to begin with like or um deciding like what i eat in a week and being able to eat more than like the one meal because you've had a mental block as to like how to do a food shop or you can't leave the house today because something else has gone wrong and like all these things that if I, yeah, I had a meeting like a couple of weekends ago and I was supposed to do something before it. So I planned my whole day in accordance to having two things, like this, this structure, this was my calendar. These are the orders that I was doing things in. And I'd known that for about three days. I then decided myself not to go to the first thing, which then made me an hour and a half late to the next thing. And that happens like all the time. If I change a little thing, even if it's for the better, I'll just be off, off kilter for definitely that day, potentially two or three days after that. And it's like, no one really, no one really knows what the life of an autistic person is. Like everyone just assumes they know what it's like. And like, oh, they can't do this, they can't do that. And it's like, mm, no, we can sometimes under these conditions or if these accommodations are made. And then it's like, well, what is it like behind closed doors? What, is it, what do you actually experience day to day? And because I find it so hard to put things into words, it's easy for me to just show you. <laughs> Burn out now. Let me, oh, I'm gonna have lunch. I'm gonna have lunch. And one thing I've seen sort of through um, your social media is about food. I mean, you talk about food, I want to say a fair bit, but, yeah. but, and one thing in particular is about eating sort of plain meals. I yeah. Mean, can you talk to me a bit about your food habits? Um, the, the thing, the easiest, like when I, when my, like whenever I'm going out for dinner or something, and someone's picking where to eat. They're like, oh, what, what kind of food do you like? I was like, just imagine me as a six foot five-year-old. That's what I like to eat. Oh, a six foot five-year-old? Yeah. Okay. So, um, 
I always end when I'm when I'm eating out, I have a go for like a steak or like the closest thing to nuggets and chips or a burger. But then my burger, like can't, I don't like sauces, so like any condiments. The thing the only one I like is gravy. Um, I can do a curry, but you have to take the chicken out, and it's so it's just coated in the sauce. It's not like actually in the sauce, and then if the sauce is on top of the rice. I'm not eating it. Or if the, if it is going to be like that, I have to be in control of like how much sauce I want. Like so, I can't. Other people will do my food. It's really complicated. Then if like there'll be sometimes I'll get a, be trying something new, and I, when I say new, I mean like there'll be a different herb in there, um, and it's close to what I already like. But because it's slightly different, it will take me forever to eat. So in like public settings or around other people, it's like, oh, do you not like your food? It's like, no, I do like it. I'm just getting used to it. And then by the time I'm used to it, it's cold. So, <laughs> so I can't eat it. Yeah. Yeah. This sounds, it sounds annoying as shit. A little bit. Yeah, it's like, well, so the types of things I tend to eat are at the minute on the, on the, in, in rotation, we have a sausage casserole, well, bean stew type thing, which is new, perfecting that recipe at the minute. And then we've got spaghetti bolognese, which is like a classic. Um, but then it'll be on days where if I've haven't had an overstimulating day or I'm in a bit of a, I don't know what mood, I'll just go for comfort food. But my comfort food tends to look like just a plate of chips, nothing with it, a bit of salt if I'm feeling fancy. But, um, or maybe it was like a bowl of pasta with nothing. Um, and then I think I had rice noodles one time and they were paying. So Tyler's work, be it writing or Instagram stories or YouTube, it serves the purpose of allowing individuals who are neurotypical to get an idea of what it's like to be an autistic individual. And more importantly, what it's like living in a society that doesn't really understand you. What are some of the the things that society sees as negative when they um, come across autistic people? I know it's a sort of a wide spectrum. Yeah. Um, it's just the lack of acceptance of someone doing something different or doing or just appearing, as you'd say, weird. It's like, I, if I, if I, right, so if I want to sit down and the floor's clean, I'll sit down, I don't care. But in certain places or in certain situations, that's not appropriate. And I was like, my feet hurt. Why am I not like, why can't I sit down? Um, but then in that situation, you've got one random girl sat on the floor and I get how it would then look weird, but I'm not bothering you, leave me alone. Um, another situation would be um, using ear defenders in public which I don't do but quite a few autistic people do I mean now that like Bose headphones are so big they kind of blend in a bit more but um being in public spaces and using ear defenders or tinted lenses or just a lot of the accessories and things that we use to either soothe ourselves or just stay a lot calmer reduce anxiety in public then are also um, causes for people to point us out or say that we're even more different. And it's just like, well, we can't win. So, I mean, well, <clears throat> so, I mean, why do people wear these things, you know, these ear defenders or tinted shades or what have you? You know, when you would like go to the library to study or do something like that and you want to stay focused, 
or you just want to get your work done and not be disturbed. That's how we need, that's the level of, not care, but the level of effort we need to put in to just get in through the day. That's the, the parallel. Like if, so when I was walking here today, I had my earphones in and I didn't have any music playing, but I had to have my earphones in because I couldn't focus on like staying on track of getting to the, the building because there's a lot of street noise or a lot of people about there's sen- like it's sensory overload and, and then just the, also the thing of distraction and forgetting what you're actually doing. And there's loads of little things who were just, I feel like I'm a magnet everything's just pulled me in loads of different directions. So that's what the the things help to do. They ever help to keep you calm or keep you on task or just get through the day in whatever way you need to. So growing up, do you live with your mum? Mm-hmm. I mean, did your mum understand? About I didn't. Whole? I've been really independent since I was about 16. So it didn't really matter. I didn't. Do you're a black woman, you're 6'1", and you're autistic. Mm-hmm. That sounds like it can throw up like a whole lot of difficulties and sort of people not expecting. Yeah, I'm not fitting in. Yeah, you don't, f- you don't feel like fitting. Really? This is, where are you putting me where I fit in? Um, I think I'm always in the minority, no matter what set I'm in, setting I'm in. But I mean, with intersectionality, you get that with a lot of people. So does anyone really fit in anywhere? Um, I find, I think... One of the reasons my diagnosis took so long to come about is because I was in predominantly white settings growing up. And then it wasn't until college where I was in a more diverse college. Um, and my tutor was able to see that it wasn't just disregard for education, like I clearly wanted to be there. And I was able, I just wasn't capable um, under the settings. And then in, Day to day, in general, like I'm just just in the minority, it is what it is. Like I don't really see it as th- there's nothing I can do about it un- unless we like populate the world with more autistic and black people. Like, what am I gonna do? Now, while it might not be possible for us to intentionally populate the world with black autistic individuals, it is possible for neurotypical people to get a better idea of the experiences of autistic individuals. And in some cases, it's about emotions. Um, basically, alexithymia exists, can exist in autistic people and non-autistic people. It's just, again, one of those things that autistic people are more likely to experience um, it the basically it means no words for feelings so you struggle to explain what you're what you're going through um for me it can feel like i'm suffocated and i don't really know what's going on like i could be happy i could be really happy sometimes and i actually don't know like if you ask me on the spot like oh how are you doing today i don't know like i don't really if you genuinely want an answer, you're gonna to have to give me like two working days. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, alexithymia then makes it. It's one of the factors. I'd, I've just done a podcast with someone who researched it, and she was saying that it's one of the factors that makes autistic people more likely to self harm. But it is also something that re- mirrors the general population. 
but then because autistic people are more likely to have alexithymia, it makes them more likely to self-harm if you draw that link. Um, we do, we, we then fall into like the self-harm just to feel something and know it what it is that you're feeling like. I know what pain feels like because if you do this, that causes that thing and that's pain. Um, I fall into binge eating when I don't know what I'm feeling or if I, yeah, it tends to be when I don't know what I'm feeling in general or if I think I'm sad or I'm not really sure, then I'll binge eat and see if I feel better or don't feel that same feeling after. And if I do, then I was sad. Or if I, at the minute when I do it, I still find out if I do it and after I've done it, I've still got the same feeling. So I don't think that helps me solve the feeling of what I think is sadness at the minute anymore. Um, So it just, it's another disconnect between feelings and communication. And when it's something that's internal as well, like no one really knows to know, no one else really needs to know what you're feeling. But if you don't know yourself, then it's really annoying. It can be, it sounds like it's, it can be very tough. It's because if, like when you're in a bad mood and you present like you're in a bad mood, you do things that someone in a bad mood would do, but you actually don't realize you're in a bad mood. You It then affects all the people that you're around as well, because you can't, you don't know what's caused it. You don't know who said something and done something. You don't know whether you've done something yourself that you shouldn't do again to prevent that feeling or happening again. So it's just, you're in a different headspace, but you don't know whether it's happy, sad, annoyed, like anxious. You don't know. And that's something that you felt your entire life or? Now that I'm more aware of what emotions are, I I know I experience it, but I don't know if I experienced it, experienced it much as a child because when I was a child, the only feel, feelings that I'd really experienced were extremes. So I'd be like, and it was mostly on like the negative side. So I'd be really angry, um, really frustrated. And I also couldn't, oh yeah, I guess I've always had it because I also really couldn't communicate with teachers when, I was feeling any type of way. Like, and as I said before, like there are some parts of my life that are impacted by being autistic that I wish kind of didn't happen. Like I'm late a lot. I kind of wish that didn't happen. And that's because I can't stay on task when I'm getting ready or because of slight changes. And my responses to um, like sensory responses, again, if you can do something with that, then I might be willing to listen. But at the same time, a lot of autistic people are given um, medication, which tackles things like that. And some of them love it. Some of them have it against their will. But again, that's another, that's a kind of a different conversation. Um, I mean, touching on that a little bit, I mean, you're saying there's sort of medication for various aspects yeah. um, of it. Um, have you ever taken any medication? Or no. Ever? Yeah. Um, I was offered antidepressants, but didn't take them because I didn't, my fear with medication is that I didn't, again, because of alexithymia, like I didn't really understand that I was depressed. So what would happen when I started taking this medication and I couldn't really feel that I wasn't depressed or am I just supposed to take it for the rest of my life? Because as far as I'm aware, that's not something you're supposed to take forever. You're supposed to be able to come off them at some point. But if I don't know why I'm on them, how am I going to know when I'm ready to come off? One of the big things that people talk about is when they talk about autism that i mean i see online in lots of different blogs and stuff like that because you know looking about this stuff when i found you i wanted to research a bit more Mm -hmm. um, about it people talk about autism as a a superpower 
I mean, you just roll your like, like rolling your eyes so hard right there. I understand saying awesome superpower brings some people some comfort. If that works for you, then cool. But again, to to brand it as something that's a superpower, you're disregarding all other things that you do actually find difficult. And I'm not saying that there's a thing you should focus on, but when you say it's your superpower, superpower, say why. Because a lot of the times people are saying, oh, I can hyper-focus, which yeah, you are able to do because you are autistic or I have a special interest in X or in a certain type of thing, which I've been able to monetize. Or I know a lot, I'm really good at general knowledge quizzes because again, that's your special interest. Like you're missing something out when you brand awesome as a superpower. And it also trivializes it to some extent and could potentially be the reason why people, autistic people who have lower support needs are not getting the help they need. I, if I'm honest, I wish more people um, knew, like just recognized autistic people at, like from the person perspective, like taking the time to understand and know that there may be differences in the way in which you see the world, um, but also that autism isn't sort of your stereotypical Hollywood like Rain Man or um, what's that recent one The Accountant with Ben Affleck um, so that was like I remember seeing that on Netflix a couple, well quite recently but it's a couple of years old but like autism isn't something that only affects white men and they're not all savants like with these sort of special abilities like every autistic person is so different um and every one will have what are strengths for them but also difficulties and um it's also i think i wish people could recognize that it's not just being autistic that um can sometimes um present with difficulties for these autistic individuals so for example it's the co-occurring things that some people find most difficult to deal with and that's whether that's anxiety um or ocd or epilepsy and so on like um also adhd which we know highly co-occurs with autism i think it's important to remember that there's a number of things that may be sort of disentangled there now, what Mary's just said is really interesting to me, because as someone with epilepsy, I know that there are a lot of other conditions linked to it. And what that means for me is that anytime I hear about new news about the subject, I go away and I just research, research, research. So I wonder, is Tyler the same way? Do you spend like a lot of time reading research papers about autism? I do a quick Google and read Google and read the abstract, but yeah. I wouldn't say I go in depth with the papers. But it's just because the more I know, the more I can explain to other people about autism. Like if I just came in today and said, like, so this morning you asked me what I had for breakfast, and I was like, well, I've not actually eaten. I've only just realised. It's like, well, how do you forget to eat? If I just said because I'm autistic, then I was like, but there's a missing part there. So if I say it's because interceptions are sense, which then and interceptions are sense, and then being autistic we have difficulty with all senses. So then um, it was the inter- because I'm autistic, I struggled with inception, which meant that I forgot to eat this morning. I only come across papers that I need. Um, so if I'm wondering if there's a link between autism and insomnia, then I'll search for that and find out. So 
those papers don't tend to be annoying. In terms of autism in the news, so a couple of weeks ago, there was a breakthrough in a study using this, I think it's a drug that's used for thinning, let's have like thinning, but thin, what's it called? Thinning bodily fluids or something. It's used for something at the minute and it's safe, but they've noticed there's a link between it and curing autism. And so I did a little bit of research into whatever they claim to be doing and they're using a scale and I don't know what the scale's called, but they're using some sort of scale and it has a mix of factors on it. They've not publicly released which factors the new pill affects to do with autism. If a kid makes eye contact more, that's going to have less of a benefit to their life than if they're able to sleep or if they're able to regulate their thoughts. Like I struggle with staying on a single um, what would you call it? Sing- single single task or just like one stream of thought because quite a few things distract me. And if there was something that could help with that, then I would take that. But if you're making it so that I'm able to, basically the approach that a lot of research that's not led by autistic people or just quite a lot of the research that annoys autistic people does is it tries to make it so that autistic people can operate in a world in a way that neurotypical people, so non-autistic people, like quite a lot of therapists are targeting things such as flapping or stimming, which actually don't cause, well, some some stims do. There's like verbal stimming and then there's like physical stimming. So some people repeat words, um, some people make noises, some people like do some sort of movement. So because... I don't know how to, some people might disagree with my explanation of it, but basically I stim mostly when I'm excited or if I've been sat down for a long time and just like need, like it's just a release of energy. So like I noticed the other day I got some news through and then I just like put my arms up and like wave them. I was like in my room on my own. I was like, what have I just done? Cause I'm not conscious or aware when I'm stimming. It's not really something that you think to do. It's more of a reaction and you just do it. I mean, okay. So again, this is an audio medium. So you lot listening can't see, but when we talk about arms in the air, are we talking round the side, straight up? It's just whatever you, you're, you don't control it. Whatever you do is what you just do. So for me, it was like hands above my head and just like, move my wrists and my hands move but for everyone they just do different things and um I think when I was a child I used to bang my head against my bedroom wall um but that was frustration because I couldn't verbalize my um I couldn't I couldn't verbalize what was wrong so I'd do that to again release what I thought was like release the energy and just move on if the reason you're stopping them from some people stim by banging their head against the wall so if the reason you're stopping them from banging their head against the wall is so that you're more comfortable and so that it's all right for you to look like see them just doing nothing then that's daft what you actually need to do is find a substitute and use the therapy to do that instead so that's what annoys me about the research is a lot of it is for the benefit of the neurotypical world rather than for the benefit of the patient i agree with tyler in that 
autism is a difference and it's important to remember that we're not talking about like a disease like cancer or um, something like that in that it needs to be cured necessarily. And I think that's a very difficult um, sort of topic to cover as a researcher. Um, But what I will say is that there's definitely, I think, some harmful narratives that you see perhaps like in the media and on Twitter around that sort of thing, sort of like curing um, autism. And I think that people could just be a bit more responsible with the ways in which they're talking about people here. These are autistic people. Autism's a difference. And I think it's important to sort of understand or make as much of an attempt to understand what their world is like rather than trying to cure it. I guess that's sort of sometimes society's uh, position on a lot of things, like anything that's other or different. It's like, okay, you do that in your own space rather than sort of in public. And But I think it's it's definitely not... Good. It, it's not. It's. It, I think it's harmful. It can be damaging. Um, trying to design a cure for autism is, let's say, problematic at best. So with that in mind, I had one final question to ask Tyler. Okay, so with everything we've spoken about, you know, from your diagnosis, you know, mental health, living through uni, all the way to like understanding and really probing, you know, what scientists are trying to do, you know, chatting to Mary and really thinking about why some scientists are so hung up on the cure. How would you want people to go away and explain autism and you know what you feel society needs to do better like in the future to make things better for autistic people autism impacts every aspect of your life it's challenging at times just like it is for like everyone else to live but then on top of that we have this different way of thinking which means that we're usually not on the same page or even not in the same book as you um and it's not through choice. We're not trying to be difficult and it would be a lot easier for everyone if we could communicate in a way that we can both understand. I think they've got this one example that I use a lot um, when I was explaining what autism is. It's like, so you have an iPhone. You send an iMessage to someone with an Android, delivers us text. The information's there, but you're a little bit gutted it's green. So the meet in the middle point would be to use WhatsApp so then you, your message is sent exactly and you know how it's being delivered so there are these things that we could use so again WhatsApp's an additional thing you've had to download it you've had to use it but it's an extra step but it means you're getting the message through how you want it through and that's kind of the world we need to build so that non-autistic people can communicate with autistic people we just need to find the whatsapps we need i'd like to say a massive thank you to tyler and mary for coming on sharing all of their knowledge and of course all of the researchers that we've spoken to now i'm not going to name you individually and this is for one key reason imagine i name you individually right and your friend listens to this podcast let's not even say a friend let's say a co-worker right they hear your name and then they're like what why didn't alex get in touch with me I study the exact same area. I could have given you even more knowledge. Why? 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 And then jealousy builds and resentment. And then you've lost a friend. But more importantly, we've lost a listener. So come on, understand where we're at. If you want to find Tyler on the internet, you can see her YouTube channel at Adulting Autistic. Now, both Tyler and Mary 
are on Twitter as well. So I'll put their accounts in the show notes. Join us again next episode where Hannah's doing a deep dive into infertility, IVF, and what can only be described as unnecessary sex chat. So aunties, <laughs> aunties coming up to me and said, oh, so what have the doctors said about your chances of getting pregnant? And part of me wanted to say, well, if I did ask a doctor, they would probably advise me to stop using contraception because we haven't started trying yet. <laughs> you know, um, so there's obviously an assumption that of course she started trying for kids because that's what people do. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 